I want you to think about a few things with me as we begin this morning. First of all, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking, and there in the 17th chapter, verses 6 to 10, it's actually his prayer now. Chapters 14 and 15 are words of preparation for the disciples. Uh, In chapter 16, he moves into his prayer. And then in 17, in verses 6 to 10, he's talking about how you and I are in the world. He's not praying for us to be taken out of the world. He wants us to be in the world. But at the same time, even though we are to be in the world, he says that we are not to be of the world. It's a challenge. You see, we can't cloister as Christians, or the Word of God would never reach the unsaved. We need to be in contact on a daily basis with those who are not believers. We are to be in the world. And yet we are to be qualitatively different in such a way that we are not of the world. Another one to think about is when they're actually trying to trap Jesus. He has gone into the temple And the question comes up about paying taxes to Caesar. Jesus is a pretty wise guy. Not wise guy, but a very wise man of wisdom. And he asks them, well, give me one of those coins. A devout Jew would have not carried one of the drachmas into the temple because it had a graven image stamped on it. So they were actually judging themselves when they pulled the coin out and even handed it to Jesus. But then Jesus said, whose image Graven image. Whose image is on that coin? Well, it's Caesar's. He said, Then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. He wasn't just saying, Give Caesar his money that he's due in terms of the taxes. He was saying, All of that stuff is Caesar's. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. When mankind was created, the Bible says he created them male and female, and he did what? He placed his image on them. They were created in his image. The coin has Caesar's image. What do we as human beings have? The image of God. So, give that material stuff. Don't worry about that. Give that to to Caesar. 
Make sure you're giving what's God's to Him. Now, these are some challenges. Challenges that you and I have to face. And as we've been looking at this letter of 1 Peter, uh, our, our theme for this series has been being prepared. Being prepared. And a part of the whole idea of being prepared is that you and I are prepared for the challenges that we're going to face. During my reading this week, I was in uh, First Chronicles. And uh, it's some pretty tough reading because it's talking about these men and these men and there are so many of these men and so many of these men. And... But there was an interesting phrase that comes up in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. When he's talking about a particular group of men, the men of Issachar, he says of them, they are men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Men of understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's one of the few qualitative phrases in that whole list in that section of 1 Chronicles. And I think it's saying to you and I that we not need to be not only people of the book, though that's impo- is, as important as anything. We need to know God's Word. We need to be reading God's Word. But not only should we be people of the book, we need to be people who understand the world in which we are living. I'm reading a book right now in my free time. There are letters between a man who taught theology and Bible at a college with his dad who was not a believer. And basically what he did is he said, Dad, I just want you to write any questions that you have of what I believe, and I will do the best I can to answer them. These letters back and forth are raising some really tough issues. But here's the blessing. At the age of 72, 10 years before he passed away, at the age of 72, Greg Boyd's father became a Christian instead of an atheist. Through that correspondence. It's knowing how to face the challenges that are before us. To speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. But not only do we need to know how to face those challenges, I think Peter's also telling us that we need to understand who we are. Notice already how he has begun this letter in chapter 1, verse 1. To the elect exiles. Elect exiles. Now, that in itself is a term of endearment. Verse 18. They're to be remembered that they are the ransomed ones. Again, chapter 2, verses that we already looked at. They are to remember that they're a spiritual house. That they're living stones. That they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. Verse 9. Who are we? 
let's look at our text for today because I think as our text for today begins, we're going to see that it once again begins with a phrase that is very important for you and I to know who we really are. Our text for today is found in verses 11 to 20. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good work deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. May God add his blessing to our reading of this word. I've titled my message for today simply Submission, Principles, and patterns. Peter is confronted with a, a, a society, a culture that is equally as degenerate as ours is today. And actually far more threatening in terms of their physical well-being. So what was the strategy that he had for suggesting uh, and, and suggesting for the church in that kind of a hostile environment? I like the words of Alistair Begg. He says, one of the delusions that the church has is that we think we can beat the world at its own game. That we can use the strategy of the world around us to build a kingdom. If we're going to make changes, if we're going to grow as a congregation, if we're going to reach those who are not saved in this community and the areas around us, listen to me. We can't do things the way we've always done them. Obviously, it's not working. Words that have killed the church are simply, well, we've never done it like that before. Well, praise the Lord if some things are being done differently. <coughs> We're not going to change the message. We're still going to hold to the Word of God. But we've got to be thinking about how we can do some things in terms of changing the methods that we are using. 
you've got to be reaching the unlost. And I'll tell you right now, being the church is not about inviting people to come, although that is very good. <coughs> being the church is leaving here today and going to those who are in need and going to those who are in lost and giving them the love of Jesus Christ. He starts out right away in the first two verses talking about the strategy that he has. Verses 11 and 12. And the first thing that sticks out to me is that he repeats the emphasis that I talked about earlier on understanding our identity. He begins with a word that is a word of endearment. Beloved. Beloved. In other words, I love you people. God loves you people. And because I love you and because God loves you, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. You know what Peter's doing there? Peter is grabbing a phrase from their history books. He's grabbing a phrase that as they were growing up, it would have been something that they had been taught on a regular basis. He was grabbing a phrase like a phrase for you and I, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's how important this phrase that he uses was to them. You go back to the book of 1 Chronicles. In the closing words of that book, David is sharing his last words with the people. He is about to die. And he's actually offering a prayer, and in it is a prayer of thanksgiving for the willing offering that they have given for the, the temple, the building of the temple. And in that prayer he says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners. Strangers and sojourners. Sojourners and exiles. That's the idea. It was a significant part of their identity. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, the Lord said to Abram at that point, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. In fact, Abraham describes himself as an alien and stranger in chapter 23. It's knowing who they were. And realizing that it's a part of their identity that has them involved then in a spiritual war. They were going to be facing such tough times. In fact, verse 11 informs us of two really important facts. As Christians... As those who have the Spirit, we're not exempt from fleshly desires. And Peter says to us, what we've got to do is we've got to abstain from them. In other words, we've got to be doing something active. Now, maybe this is the point at which I get on my soapbox. Maybe I stepped on a few toes. If so, I'm sorry. 
That's not my intent. But where are you? You answer for yourself. Where are you in terms of your daily spiritual disciplines? People who want to be strong physically and be a part of of sports activities have disciplines that they go through of training. The same thing is needed for our spiritual lives. Daily Bible reading. Daily times of prayer and devotion. Daily activities in which we are serving others. Spiritual disciplines to battle this battle. And obviously, these desires of the flesh that emerge us, uh, that engage us and battle against us are pretty strong because Peter uses words that are talking about warfare. Things about conquering. Things that call us to be active. We sing the songs. Onward Christian soldiers. Marching off to war. What war? Do you really believe, do you really believe what you're saying when you sing those words? Are we understanding that we are in fact in a warfare, we are in a battle, and we have an enemy out there that's doing everything he can to destroy us and destroy any opportunity that we have to worship God in the way we want to worship Him. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I would rather this church pay taxes on everything and continue to preach the Word of God than to submit to somebody that's running for office that says, if you don't support these things, we're going to take away your tax-exempt status. Take it! Take it! Put me in jail! I am not going to start stop preaching this book. <coughs> I am not going to stop saying that what Romans says is in fact true. That we're not talking about alternate styles of living, we're talking about sin. We've got to understand we're in a war. And a part of that strategy when we understand that we're in a war is that we have to maintain our credibility. Once you lose your credibility, it is ten times harder to gain it back. And you know what? It's actually easier to tell the truth than it is to tell a lie. Because when you tell a lie, you've got to remember who all you told that lie to and exactly what the lie was that you told. When you tell the truth, all you've got to do is remember what actually happens. And once we lose our, our credibility, it's hard to get it back. I said to a couple that I was counseling with several years ago when I was still in Illinois, I said to the young man, I said, you were unfaithful to your spouse. So in order for you to regain her trust, if she's willing to stay with you, if she's willing to forgive you, the way for you to regain her trust is to allow her to show up anytime, anywhere you're at, 
And if she asks you for your phone to hand it to her openly and say, here, here it is. And I said, if you're not willing to do those things, chances are your relationship is not going to make it. And he said, I don't know if I can do that. And guess what? Their relationship didn't make it. We have to be people of credibility. And once we understand who we are, once we understand that we're in a battle, once we understand the importance of maintaining our credibility, then he gives us and shows us some patterns as to how this can work itself out. Now, part of the problem that we face in the church, I think, is that so often lessons and teaching has been done with proof text. Here's a verse, let's talk about what that means. Instead of seeing some of the patterns that these people wrote and used. And in this section, Peter actually has a little pattern that he's developing. And I want you to see this because it helps us to understand what he's saying. A part of this pattern of submission is he has two paragraphs here before us. And the first is verses 13 to 17. Look at, again, what we already read. There's an important phrase right there in the middle in verse 15. For this is the will of God. Now jump with me for a second, because we're going to come back to it, but jump with me for a second down to verse 19. There's a parallel phrase. For this is a gracious thing. The first paragraph is built around the idea that this is something that's the will of God. The next paragraph is built around the idea that this is something that's a gracious thing. And why is it that's the will of God? Well, he starts out that paragraph by saying, be subject, and, and not just be subject for no reason at all, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject. Now let me tell you what that word means. It doesn't mean obey. It means to place yourself under in the proper positions. And it's held in check by Peter himself. Because as we place ourselves under in the proper position, then we also are going to realize that there are some things that we're not going to be able to do. Government's task, Peter tells us, is to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. In other words, government's task is to encourage virtue and to punish vice. Don't you wish that our politicians understood that? And the word that Peter uses doesn't require blind obedience because there are places in Scripture, we looked at one already, where Jesus himself says, hey, you decide what's Caesar's and what belongs to Caesar, and you decide what belongs to the Lord. There are other places. Old Testament. Book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. It tells us about how Pharaoh decided that 
that people of Israel were a threat to him. So what did he do? He told them, the midwives, well, you kill the male babies when they're born. Okay? Did those Jewish midwives obey Caesar? No. No, especially the one that was carried for Moses. Or go to the book of Daniel. We, we looked at that in a sermon series. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where'd they end up? They ended up in a fiery furnace. Why? Because they weren't going to bow to an image. They weren't going to obey Caesar telling them to bow. Or what about Daniel himself? Where did he end up? In a lion's den. Why? Because he wasn't going to allow a governmental rule that regarded his prayer life to change his prayer life. He was going to remain faithful to God in terms of his prayers. And so when Peter is writing to us, he's well aware of all those things. In fact, in the book of Acts in chapter 5, he's a part of, of a team that is preaching who is told, do not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And he said to those who told him that, well, you decide what you have to do, and we'll decide what we're going to do, but we're not going to keep quit preaching. So when we look at this idea of being subject, we've got to understand that the balance of it is found in the rest of the paragraph. Verses 16 to 17. And at that point, he says to us that we've got to live as people who are free. Our motive is to do it for the Lord's sake. And then, love. Agape love is the proper attitude that we're to be displaying. Love your brothers. And then, honor. Honor. Give the proper honor for the king or governing authorities. And I think at this point, Peter probably has in mind what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you make sure... Jesus said, you make sure that your light is so shining so that they can see your good works and glorify God. So the first pattern that he's given to us in terms of how we should be living as a church is this idea, what is God's will, is that we will be putting ourselves in the proper position of subjection. Now, that's not going to be easy. Because what that means is that there are going to be times at which I'm going to be possibly facing persecution as a Christian. But what do I do? Do I deny the Lord? Do I obey Caesar when I'm told to do something that is contrary to the Word of God? No. I live the Christian life with credibility and I take the persecution that's coming to me. What's the number one complaint that you hear when you talk to other people about Christianity in the church? I'll tell you the number one I hear from my own family. One of my sons just a couple weeks ago 
Well, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? He's right. Thank God that all Christians aren't hypocrites. But you know what? In areas where the church is growing the fastest, do you know what's taking place? Persecution. Persecution of Christians. Do you know why the church is growing the fastest where there's persecution going on? Because the wishy-washy Christians who don't want to live the Christian life are not being a part of Christianity. Because they don't want to do something that's going to endanger their life and make them subject to persecution or even death. The church is growing. In fact, right now, I just read some statistics recently that said in a very short time, the number of Christians in China where persecution is going on full time. David Poling, one of the area missionaries from around this area, living in Hong Kong. Did you see what happened in Hong Kong last week? People singing Christian songs because of what the government was doing. Filling the streets. They estimated over a million people in that courtyard and singing praises to Jesus Christ in refusal to submit to what is going on in mainland China. And right now, the number of Christians in China is almost outdoing the number of Christians in the rest of the world under persecution. Why? Because there aren't any hypocrites. Because hypocrites aren't going to hang around when persecution starts. Submission. Submission even to being persecuted. But then the next paragraph has another one of these phrases. Right there in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. What's he talking about in terms of the gracious thing? Well, he's talking about the idea of enduring sorrow while suffering. And he's, he's addressing servants. Servants, he says, be subject to your masters. Now, don't think in terms of slaves. Because there are two different words in the Greek language that are translated servants. One of those is doulos, which is usually a slave. The word Peter uses here is the word for household servants. And those household servants, listen to me, could include their doctors, their teachers. All of those positions were positions of being a servant in a household. In other words, those of you who are working any kind of a job, we're included in this. By the way, I had a discussion this week, and uh, my wife and I continued that discussion. I don't consider Sunday one of my off days, or work days. I consider my off days Saturday and Sunday just like the rest of you. 
Because I am not doing anything different today than what my wife and I would be doing if I wasn't a minister. If I had the opportunity from some group to speak, even though I was working a job Monday to Friday, I wouldn't say, well, I'm not going to be at church today because that's my off day. We are serving the Lord. And we're to be doing that seven days a week. And he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, they didn't have legal rights. And masters could beat them. They could brand them. But yet, Peter says to them, you treat your employers with respect whether they're good or bad. And here's the balancing point to it. That when we do that, if we endure suffering for doing good, we're going to be rewarded. He said, but don't complain. Don't complain if you're being beaten because you did something wrong. That's what you deserve. And you understand if you're being beaten for doing something that is good, that is just then God's going to reward you for that. In fact, I love it. The word that he uses there when he says they've done wrong, it's built off the same word as the word for sin. Amartia. They missed the mark. Missed the mark. I used to, Gene, I used to love when we were on the range on the police department and uh, somebody would miss the mark every once in a while. I'd take an opportunity and say, wow, do you know that that's the word that the Bible uses for sinning? Missing the mark. You didn't do that intentionally, did you? No, I was trying to hit the mark. And you know, sometimes in our life, we're trying hard to hit the target, and we just miss the target. We miss the mark. And when we do that, we need to understand that We have a loving Savior who forgives us. Because He has given us a pattern. That's how Peter ends this whole section of verses for us today. He's given us the principle, and the principle is we need to be submitting. But He's given us some patterns as to how that works itself out. But the verse for starting next week, for to this... You have been called. What have we been called to? We have been called to be submissive, to be people who are honoring, to be people who have credibility, to people who are loving our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as loving everyone else. One of the hardest things, one of the hardest things for me to do is to continue to show love to people that I know are just doing everything they can to, to beat at the church and to smack the church down and to, and to hurt other Christians. Most of you are aware of this. Our closing of ministry over in Martinton, Illinois was not a positive experience. <coughs> And thank God 
that Eric was able to see in my wife and I the response that kept him preparing for ministry. Because one day he said, Dad, I don't know if I want to be in ministry in the church after seeing what they did to you and our family. We have been called to live lives of submission. Why? He says, because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving that example. Let me tell you something. Our final reward has been obtained through suffering. Suffering of Jesus Christ. And uh, suffering on that cross wasn't a detour. From the very beginning of time, it was a part of God's plan. Knowing that He was giving us freedom, it was a part of His plan to also provide for our redemption. And so, our task is to take up that God-appointed plan and show that kind of love to this world around us. Let's pray.